was much beyond her daily reach, and many a long November and October evening must be struggled through at Hartfield, before Christmas brought the next visit from Isabella and her husband, and their little children to fill the house and give her pleasant society again. Highbury, the large and populous village, almost amounting to a town to which Hartfield, in spite of its separate lawn, the shrubberies, and name, did really belong, afforded her no equals. The woodhouses were first in consequence there, all looked up to them. She had many acquaintance in the place, for her father was universally civil, but not one among them who could be accepted in lieu of Miss Taylor for even half a day. It was a melancholy change, and Emma could not but sigh over it, and wish for impossible things till her father awoke and made it necessary to be cheerful. His spirits required support. He was a nervous man, easily depressed, fond of everybody that he was used to, and hating to part with them, hating change of every kind. Matrimony as the origin of change was always disagreeable, and he was by no means yet reconciled to his own daughter's marrying, nor could ever speak of her but with compassion, though it had been entirely a match of affection, when he was now obliged to part with Miss Taylor too, and from his habits of gentle selfishness, and of being never able to suppose that other people could feel differently from himself, he was very much disposed to think Miss Taylor had done as sad a thing for herself as for them. And there are cries without of Philip and Miralma, and Guntran and his companions return. A crowd of townspeople follow, headed by Nicholas and the aldermen. There he stands, that lord ye knew, in the days of yore, Stout of heart and brave and true, see he dreams no more. Vainly now shall beauty sue, all her reign is o'er. Say ye then, doth Flanders need us? Tis Lord Philip that shall lead us, here as heretofore. Hail, hail to the Lord of our land, Philip of Myrmont, hail! Men of Myrmont, no longer wrapped in heedless dreams of sense, sleeps this heart, for clearer, stronger sounds the cry that calls me hence. Stayed our beauty's fond caresses, broken lies, love's silken chain, where the shock of battle presses, I would lead ye forth again. Let us on, where loud outringing war was acclaimed doth rend the air. Let us hence, though death be winging every blow that waits me there. Say he, then, that I am dreaming. Nay, Lord Philip wakes at last. Look where yonder sun is gleaming. Day is dawning, night is past. Joan and Lane approach Philip. My lord. What would you? Good, my lord. My father... I am not he. Poor cripple, stand apart. Some who are about Philip lay hands upon Lane and Joan. Nay, nay, in pity hear me. There is one who by the enchantment of her beauty holds my father as her slave. Ah, go not forth till thou hast set him free. Yeah, give him back to them that love him. Look on me, my lord. Dost thou not know me? Nay, not I in faith. What gossip's tale is this? Taking a purse from his pouch. Go, get thee hence. 
throwing her the purse. And buy thee a new crutch. Oh, oh. Philip to the townspeople. On to the marketplace. The citizens surround Philip and Lane, while Jonas swept aside in the tumult. Philip is mounted upon the shoulder of two of the townsmen. Hail to the lord of our land, Philip of Merlemont, hail. Forth from the anvil and loom, up from the depths of the vale. Hither thy liegemen we come, ready to answer thy call, heedless of what may befall, fearless of heart, for we know, even though death be thy foe, thou shalt not falter nor fail. Hail to the lord of our land, Philip of Merlemont, hail. The citizens bearing Philip and singing as they go, pass through the town gate, headed by Guntran and Nicholas, and followed by the lords of Cerot, Belaine, and Saint-Seville, and the knights and pages. As the crowd disperses, Lane is discovered lying upon the ground, trampled on and senseless. With a cry, Joan rushes to her and kneels by her side. At the same moment, Seda is seen going towards the castle, beckoning Simon, who follows her with outstretched arms. Joan turns to them and raises her head to heaven in malediction. The devil looks on approvingly. The voices of the citizens are heard in the distance, going fainter and fainter as the curtain falls. End of Act Two How she had devoted all her powers to amuse and attach her in health and how nursed her through the various illnesses of childhood. A large debt of gratitude was owing here, but the intercourse of the last seven years, the equal footing and perfect unreserve which had soon followed Isabella's marriage, on their being left to each other, was yet a dearer, tenderer recollection. She had been a friend and companion such as few possessed, intelligent, well-informed, useful, gentle, knowing all the ways of the family, interested in all its concerns, and, peculiarly, interested in herself, in every pleasure, every scheme of hers, one to whom she could speak every thought as it arose, and who had such an affection for her as could never find fault. How was she to bear the change? It was true that her friend was only half a mile from them, but Emma was aware that great must be the difference between a Mrs. Weston, only half a mile from them, and a Miss Taylor in the house. And with all her advantages, natural and domestic, she was now in great danger of suffering from intellectual solitude. She dearly loved her father, but he was no companion for her. He could not meet her conversation, rational or playful. The evil of the actual disparity in their ages, and Mr. Woodhouse had not married early, was much increased by his constitution and habits, for having been a valetudinarian all his life, without activity of mind or body, he was a much older man in many ways than in years, and though everywhere beloved for the friendliness of his heart and his amiable temper, his talents could not have recommended him at any time. Her sister, though comparatively but little removed by matrimony, being settled in London, only sixteen miles off, 